Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. Today we're talking to Andrew Gillick, who's a writer for the website Brave New Coin, which provides digital currency insights. And um, Andrew uh, does provide digital currency insights, that's for sure. And um, uh, this week he's done a very interesting piece about uh, how the cryptocurrency market and blockchain generally is, to a large extent, a demographic phenomenon. That is to say, it's all about millennials um, focusing on something that they can do because baby boomers have priced them out of the property market and the share market. But uh, let's hear from Andrew about how that works, what he's on about. Here's Andrew Gillick, a writer for Brave New Coin. So, Andrew, an interesting piece on uh, the baby boomers, putting the crypto uh, currencies and blockchain and so on into the context of, of demographics. And in particular, your proposition is that um, essentially the baby boomers have priced millennials out of the market for both housing and, I think, shares uh, and assets in general, and which has led the millennials towards uh, investing in uh, in cryptocurrencies. So are you saying that the crypto world is, is fundamentally a millennial phenomenon? Hi, Alan. Yes, it's exactly kind of the point of view that we have. Um, uh, with asset prices at all-time highs, pretty much across all asset classes, stocks, bonds, and, and property, it, it's definitely put... It's put prices out of out of reach for for a lot of millennials. Um, after the GFC, um, a lot of millennials were put out of work for for many years. They kind of you know were, were dropped down the the employment ladder for quite a while. So they they didn't really have time to buy assets when when they were down either. Um, so that 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 definitely accentuated the problem. Um, and as as prices you know quickly rebounded after 2009 2010. Uh, it was mainly the baby boomer generation that, that benefited from that uh, from that upwind, and in in the states in particular, um, because of the the way that 401k the retirement fund is um, is structured, people on a biweekly basis they they pay into their 401k and you know they they're allocated um, to a certain risk allocation of of stocks. And they they don't have to buy stocks themselves. It's it's all managed for them. And um and they would have bought the dip as well as, you know, as well as buying uh, on on the up. Uh, so so they benefited um from from the sell off and benefited again from the um the boom after 2010. And yeah, meanwhile the millennials have have been kind of struggling to even find a job. <laughs> so uh, in in many cases. Property has been in the U.S. has been put out of out of out the reach of, of quite a few um, millennial. We probably should uh, we probably should define who our, who a millennial is. I mean, I think all of our all of our listeners know what a baby boomer is, but um, mm. what, what how are we defining millennials? Yeah, so according to Pew Research, anyway, uh, you know, different people come up with different parameters for for baby boomers, but yeah, the most Concrete one um, would be between those between the ages of 22 and 37. That's according to Pew Research, and uh, they are they are going to be the next. They are currently the biggest global um, cohort. What, uh, what what numbers are we talking? Yeah, uh, 1.8 billion. 
1.8 billion currently. And what proportion of the uh, what proportion of the population and the workforce is that? And um, talking in, in the workforce, um, not too sure uh, in the workforce, but globally, it's it's about 40 percent of um, uh, over between 38, 40 percent of uh, of global of the global population, um, and it's they they have. They have just crossed over uh, at a pretty important threshold where they're now reaching their peak earning years. Um, so that's you know, and you know, when they come into their their thirties, they start settling down. They start looking to buy large ticket items. They're at the peak of their their earning powers and spending powers. So there's going to be a big big shift um, when it comes to to spending, uh, spending power, um, advertising to a new generation of of consumers. And um, and the baby boomers are are phasing out there. They used to be the <laughs> the biggest generation for a long time, and they were the biggest biggest spenders by far for a long time. They're also the richest generation uh, we've we've ever seen um, in history. Uh, they in the U.S. they have 5.3 billion, or sorry, I should say uh, there's 5.3 trillion. Um, Dollars allocated to to 401 uh, accounts. That's uh, the the basically the U.S. super annuation account. There's 5.3 trillion under under management. Uh, they control 70% of all disposable income in America. So they they have they have had really the the. I suppose the point you know, you're the, making. Uh, I suppose the point you're making is that the baby boomers are richer than the the generation that came before, but they're also richer than the generations that are coming after. Yeah, yeah, that they are. And at this stage, um, heading into retirement, there's there's the average baby boomer now in the U.S. is 64, which is the average age of retirement in the U.S. as well. So there's there's a huge tsunami of of retirees um, set for the next couple of years or the next 10 years in the U.S. at least. Um, you know, the, the demographics have kind of crossed over now between um, the you know, baby boomers heading into retirement and and the millennials. Coming up as taking their place as the biggest um, consumer cohort in in the world. So as the boomers head into retirement, they'll be de-risking. They'll be selling their their they'll be selling their stocks, allocating more, I suppose, to bonds or liquidating, and you know heading off on on cruises. So um, yeah, they'll be a lot more conservative in in their spending. In in that's typically what happens anyway um, in the retirement years. Um, whereas when that happens, and obviously we're late in the business cycle. Um, that when, it, when it comes to stocks, especially, we're, we're really at all-time highs, and um, it's it's a it's a risky time for for millennials to to invest in the stock market. Um, and when the next recession does come around, and the next sell-off in the in the stock market does come around, um, these retirees who who typically bought every single dip in the in the stock market um, through their four hundred one. Uh, retirement plans, uh, they won't be around any longer. So um, our point of view is that um, as as the baby boomers are, are phased out and there's a stock market downturn, there, there won't be the same there won't be the same bidding floor as such uh, for stocks to to buoy it up as as there has been. Um, apart from you know 2000 2002, which was you know quite a significant downturn um, for for a couple of years. The markets have, have generally rebounded fairly quickly from from big crashes like 1987. Um, 
that was that was quite a quick rebound uh, after you know Black Monday. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. It did. So, you know, the stock market. and you're saying I think that um, the cryptocurrency boom, in particular Bitcoin, but the rest of yep. it as well, is fundamentally a millennial uh, phenomenon. Basically, it is. It's, it's all about millennials, and in fact, all the people I talk to who are involved in creating Bitcoin, uh, creating cryptocurrencies and blockchain, are themselves millennials as well. There's almost, mm. there's almost no baby boomers involved in it at all. No, no, it certainly has. Even though um, you know the the forefathers of blockchain and cryptocurrencies, you have you know that they've been computer scientists from the 70s and 80s. You know they're they're, they're certainly of a, a boomer generation, but or even Gen X. But um, yeah, the, certainly the owners of of cryptocurrencies so far. If you look at um, the charts on local bitcoins, um, half the the owners of 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 Bitcoin at the moment are are millennials, um, and then obviously quite a small proportion of them are are, are boomers and Gen X. But um, yeah, the millennials and generation under Gen Z uh, are, are by far the biggest uh, holders of, of Bitcoin. Um, so the cryptocurrency market and boom is potentially um, offers millennials the same chance that. That the boomers had when they started first investing in, in stocks back in 1982, around 1982, when um, the S&P was at uh, was at 100. It's now you know, you know around 2,800, 700. Um, the this, uh, the cape ratio even back then was was only about eight um, in so the stock market. When are we talking? And, about, when are we talking? Uh, sorry, this was back in 1982, when when the baby boomers first started. Buying the the stock market when they they first kind of started entering their peak earning years around twenty eight, right? And um, yeah, the the price the prices of the stocks were were very very low uh, compared to what they are now. Um, but yeah, so for millennials, the best option or you know, the the greatest return in future would potentially be um, the the cryptocurrency market where you can get into. You can get into the market early. The future fang stocks. You can get into uh, companies that. Well, it looks you know, in to, a few years. to be honest, Andrew. It looks a bit late for Bitcoin. I mean, it's um, hmm. uh, it's it's what's it has. It is sitting around the mid six thousands. Um, so, I mean, who knows whether that's early or late? Really, I mean, it's certainly late in the ter- in terms of the twenty nineteen twenty thousand it got to in December last year. Certainly, um, yeah, it certainly is. Um, this, obviously, with, with cryptocurrencies, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. It's you know decimalized down to, to eight decimal places. Um, you can certainly buy buy fractions of that of that market. But yeah, we you know um, I suppose you could you could compare Bitcoin basically to the to the underlying internet infrastructure. It's it's yeah it's the very first it's the the very first um, protocol. Um, it, yeah, it's certainly uh, by no means are we espousing. Um, that that is that's going to last um, forever, and that it's the um, that it's the right choice. But there's obviously all the myriad of of, of companies being built on top of it that um, you know most people haven't heard of. That are the future Fang stocks. They're the future Amazons. You know, Amazon um, was you know it was pretty much it would have been a, a micro cap for for years and years until it really took off after you know the 2000s. Um, so there's there's a lot of potential in, in, in these companies um, and it is the 
the chance for millennial investors to, you know, allocate not even not even a huge amount to um, to cryptocurrencies and, and still and still benefit from a, a huge upwind. Um, an interesting um, analogy: Japan, uh, you know, was at a similar demographic juncture back in the, the 1990s um, when it's when its uh, retirees started he- heading off into, into retirement in, in droves. And that coincided with, you know, the 1990 peak in the, the Nikkei. And um, when, when the Nikkei did crash for, you know, various reasons and, the, you know, the assets bubble popped, there was a decade-long downturn, in fact, up to a 20-year-long downturn um, in the, the Nikkei in, in stock returns. Um, so if, if this similar juncture, if this similar phase uh, pans out with the U.S., uh, we, you know, we could see a, a much more sustained downturn in U.S. equities over the next, the next. But 10, what's the uh, ten years? But what's the connection? I mean, I, um, uh, are you saying that there was a similar kind of generational or demographic change in Japan that occurred that is occurring now in the U.S. and Australia? Uh, with the U.S. and sorry, Australia or the U.S. and well, Japan? just no, it was just you. Um, I'm just trying to get the sense that uh, I'm just trying to get the connection now between between what happened in Japan in 1990, which obviously was, as you say, was a long-term downturn. Uh, yep. So it didn't, you know, the market didn't recover. Both property and the share market did not recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and are you yep. saying that that's because of something similar to the baby boomer retirements that uh, that occurred that is going to occur now in the US? Uh, something similar happened in uh, 1990s in Japan. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it's not as uh, it's not as bad a cocktail uh, for the U.S. as it was in 1990s Japan, where you, they had problems of you know, falling, plummeting birth rates, as well as um, you know, one of the longest life expectancies in the world. Um, but it is at a similar juncture where um, there's a huge amount of of people heading off into retirement, um, and there there isn't the, uh, the there isn't the upwind of um, of the spending power that um, that buoyed the market. Also, oh, are you saying that Japan didn't have a baby boom like the West did, like America did? Um, In, you know, after the, the post-war baby boom, didn't they have one? It, that, that's, I, that's actually something I'm, I'm not 100% sure of. It, you don't really tie in Japan with, with the baby boom, but presumably there, there would have been, I mean, the whole world, their, their country would have been fairly decimated um, during World War Two. So, um, yeah, certainly, I'm sure, whether they call it a baby boom in, in Japan or not, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't yeah. heard that term. Um, but, yeah, certainly, they, they would have definitely benefited from an, an uplift in, in birth rate after after World War Two, pretty much like the rest of the world. Um, so they, they certainly would have got an uplift, yeah, from... Uh, right, but it, from, didn't, but it obviously didn't help them in 1990. No, no. So they, they had, they for a long time, have had a, a falling birth rate, um, which has been a problem. And, the, the, yeah, the, definitely other cultural factors that um, have kept have kept the, the age quite old. And, um, you know, they, they have the highest birth rate or the life expectancy rate. In the world, so there's there's other factors there, but yeah. they 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 suffered from a mass exit of of retirees and it, around around 1990 92, and um and the Nikkei um plummeted from yeah yeah over 2000 yeah it it was it was so, it, it was a huge huge drop for the following decade. 
So um, back to but back to cryptocurrencies. What what does it imply now? Do you think for uh, for the crypto markets? Yeah. Um, so there, there's been a lot of disenfranchisement among the younger generations with um, with stock markets. They don't. Uh, they don't have the same affiliation. It hasn't been as good to them um, as it has been to previous generations. They they're looking for, especially after the GFC. You know, the home ownership among among millennials is the, the worst it's ever been, the lowest it's ever been. So there's um, there's many many people not happy with the current um, the current corporate corporations, the current markets, and they are looking for alternatives. Bitcoin was born out of the the GFC um, as an alternative way to to invest. And to, to use your money, um, they the millennials certainly are far, far more affiliated. Um, and as we've seen from uptake in demographics, millennials are are by far the, the biggest users and and investors of of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. So, yeah, in after the next downturn, the next recession, um, we we think that there'll be a protracted downturn in the stock market and the cryptocurrency space can only really benefit from from a younger generation that's looking for for better returns in the future where companies are more forward thinking they're they're more progressive it's a young exciting technology that that, that young people are are even taking part in as part of the open source kind of movement um where you know anybody can join these networks anybody can join the bitcoin network and partake in it and and earn and they're incentivized to to use to use the currencies and take part in in the network. Um, so you, we're really really think that there there will be a, a big uptake after the the next the next downturn. I mean, obviously, uh, as you say, Bitcoin came out of the, um, the the GFC, or at least the timing you know occurred that way. The, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto came up with his white paper, I think, in in two thousand and eight, um, and. But since then, there's been a proliferation of cryptocurrencies. I think I'm just looking at my screen at the moment. There's 1,624 cryptocurrencies now, um, uh, a lot of which are, are um, you know, not worth a thing. You know, mm. nevertheless, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of big ones like Ethereum and so on, which have come along. Um, there now seems to be a proliferation of blockchains, or at least some, um, you know, sort of attempts to create. Uh, some some uh, changes or at least new forms of blockchain. For example, Hedera Hashgraph, which mm. I, I interviewed the guy the other day for that. Um, what do you think is going on there? Is that is that going to is that Hedera Hashgraph and other things connected with blockchain going to take on take off? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, um, Hedera certainly is. Um, it's a very interesting project and. Um, it's something that there's plenty of blockchain alternatives out there as well that are using directed acyclical graphs instead of blockchains where um, it foregoes the the use of miners it foregoes um, it you know it increases transaction it's supposed to increase uh, transactions per second and yeah there's definitely a lot of benefits that they're um, that, that they propose there is that there's no guarantee that Bitcoin or blockchain will be the the future technology. Um, you know, there's still a war of words between a lot of the developers of blockchains and and DAGs, as they call them. Um, so the, yeah, there's no guarantee that that blockchain will even be the the future technology. And an interesting, as as you mentioned, Hedera Hashgraph. Um, one one of their one of their big proponents is that they. 
um, that it's more energy efficient. They don't use the the vast amount of energy to transact or to mine cryptocurrencies like like Bitcoin. But that that is also um, possibly an investment theme and looking for projects and um, technologies that that forego the the mining process that are greener, more sustainable. Because as again, as as a younger generation that's coming through as as investors, they're they're more conscious of of the environment, uh, more conscious of of being more sustainable, and you know the, the climate existential threat at the moment. So yeah, certainly projects like that that do propose a, a green sustainable theme are are certainly an interesting investment to consider. The more I look at this and the more people I talk to in this area, the more I realise that there's a whole lot of uh, people who are engaged in something that the rest of the world has no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> you know, there's sort of you're talking about uh, distributed ledgers and I mean, people, a lot of people talk about this in my generation, block, baby boomers, in fact, you know, and, and running companies and they kind of talk about it as if they know what they're talking about. But in fact, it's very difficult to get one's head around. And so um, th- mm. there's a kind of... Um, uh, seems to me like a class of druids now, who uh, who are kind of versed in this area. I guess you you were one of them, Andrew. Um, does it feel no, like I, that? I would... to, does it feel like that to you? Oh yeah, I I mean, uh, I, I certainly don't feel like I'm uh, as as rehearsed as most of the most of the people in this industry. There's there's uh, it definitely is a a battle of, of brain power uh, at the top echelons, um, and yeah, there's a lot of I'd almost call mysticism around some of the projects, even the way they're worded. Um, as it, it definitely, they do use a lot of impenetrable uh, computer science words and jargon. Um, yeah, I, I think it, what has to happen, which probably uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't an investor in the in the 2000 dot com bubble, but um, it, in the run up to the the internet age and the, the dot-com bubble, uh, there would have been, I'm sure, the same kind of confusion around what TCP IP was uh, and the OSI model and what all these different protocols, internet protocols meant, and people were trying, trying to get their heads around them for years and years. And then it wasn't until um, you know the bubble burst and there was a big call of, of redundant internet companies that people really started to probably get their heads around, oh, that's Amazon. They they sell books. That's you know, it's easy easy to get your head around. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose until people stop maybe getting get over the confusion of of these projects and their white papers, um, th- th- then people will really kind of warm to it and, and familiarise themselves with the kind of basics, the one hundred and one of of what. Well, it's, it's uh, almost it almost wasn't until Google came along and um, you know made it like made the whole internet usable in a way. And then Facebook, mm. and so some of these kind of consumer products that were built on the uh, on the internet, that everyone started to get it really. And I suppose uh, what needed is for the cryptocurrency and blockchain is for something like that to happen. True, and look, even even Warren Buffett, um, he he abstained from investing in, in tech stocks up until very very recently, um, and he, you know, arguably one of the smartest investors ever and um, just simply didn't invest in, in the internet because he, he didn't really understand it. So um, there's, there's certainly, uh, there's reasons to, there's reasons to wait um, and, and see how things, things pan out and to get your head around the industry a bit more. Uh, at the moment, unfortunately, uh, there's definitely a war of words going on between 
a lot of the developers of projects. Uh, so, um, you know, a lot of the top coders and chief technology officers, they're, they're all kind of talking their own book and talking their own game and bagging other, other people's. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, it's very hard to, to know, you know, who's going to win <laughs> and yeah. what to, what to make of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, um, good, a good note on which to win. Thanks very much, Andrew. You're very welcome. Thanks for the call, Alan. That was Andrew Gillick, a writer for Brave New Coin. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch Market Wrap with market commentator Saeed Sadawi. The biggest news this week comes from the asset management titan BlackRock. BlackRock has set up a working group to look into both cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. Triggering a bounce across the board and signifying a change in stance, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink was once famous for his dismissal of the technology, arguing no clients demand cryptocurrencies. The largest US-based digital currency exchange Coinbase has announced they're exploring the addition of five new cryptocurrencies. Coins including Cardano, Basic Attention Token, Stellar Lumens, Zcash and ZeroX are currently all being investigated. It must be stressed though, there's no guarantee these projects will be added, rather in the interests of transparency, Coinbase have said this public announcement occurred at the same time as their internal announcement. News this week out of the educational sector. The notoriously difficult Chartered Financial Analyst or CFA exams have decided to add a cryptocurrency-related topic as examinable material by August 2019. Helping legitimise the industry, CFA exams are conducted by over 100,000 individuals across the globe. Released during the mania phase in early January of this year, Kodak and its Bitcoin miner dubbed the Cash Miner have parted ways, as this week a representative from Kodak announced the venture was never officially licensed. Unsurprising due to a large number of technical inconsistencies, the announcement originally triggered a massive 130% pump in Kodak share price. An interesting statistic out of China has surfaced this week. Companies registered featuring the word blockchain has soared nearly sixfold from January to July of this year alone. And finally, after signing a 1 billion Australian dollar partnership with the Australian government, tech giant IBM has continued to make moves in the cryptosphere this week, announcing they will help launch a price-stable cryptocurrency insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. Said to assist in various use cases targeting its larger financial institutional clients, the token will be backed by US dollars held at the Nevada Chartered Trust Company, which will be in turn insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. And now onto the market wrap-up. After a slow start to the week, the market has certainly picked up very, very nicely. Benefiting from an injection of US $41 billion, overall market cap is up a massive 16.4% in this week. It's clear the market reflected positively to the encouraging news out this week. Price action combined with a healthy dose of rising volume fared well for the markets. Bitcoin dominance remained very steady this week, currently sitting at 43%. Both Bitcoin and popular altcoins have benefited from the increased capital. Bitcoin is currently sitting pretty, currently priced at US 7300 up almost 15% in this week alone. Alts across the board have benefited from a similar run, with some quality alts, alts for example, 10x up on up over 100% in this week alone. Certainly an important week for Bitcoin. Over the last month, Bitcoin has continuously failed to break the US $6,800 resistance, only this week finding the much-needed momentum to push through. Triggering a series of lovely massive green candles, Bitcoin's movement alone has helped shift market sentiment more into the bullish territory. 
Majors Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin have much like the rest of the market benefited from the increased capital. All majors are up on average 17.1%. And that's all for the weekly wrap up. I'm Sayed Sadawi and I'll see you next time. Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. Our theme music was written and recorded by Broke Free.